0: Hey, Josh, good to, uh, good to meet you. Good to meet you as well, sir. Um, I, I know uh, before we, uh, you know, kind of jump into the main program, I figured we'd just kind of chat a bit um, and, uh, and talk about, you know, um, talk about your kind of ideas. And the way I figured I'd do this uh, is a little segment that I, I'm starting called uh, Random Access Memories. So, um, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say something and I just want the first thing that pops in your head, uh, to be your answer and we'll see kind of where this leads us. Right. So, um, what is your favorite computer icon? Oh, uh, probably the recycle bin. Ah, okay. Why do you say that? Why do you say that?
1: Uh, I guess because, um, you get frustrated in things with computing uh especially when you've done it so long you can you can uh just be like i just want this icon to go away i just want this program to go away or whatever and uh the idea of just uh throwing whatever you're working on in the trash is just kind of one of those like uh that that would just be great if we could just all do that when when you, when you get to
0: that point you know i mean <laughs> a big, big stress reliever. stress see you later <laughs> Yeah. They should make more out of it. It should be like when you hit the trash thing, it should be like, you know, you throw in uh, trash into it. Like, you know, you crumple it up, throw in a little basketball, throw it in there. That's what they should do a little animation. Uh, so that happens. You know, I, I miss when uh, it was more
1: popular to customize the sounds and stuff on your computer. And you could like customize it to be like a, a sound of a fire whooshing or an explosion when you throw, when you, uh, throw things in your recycle bin. <laughs> there you go.
0: There you go. When it was cool back in the day, right? And it was cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, well. Speaking back in the day, what was uh, your most reliable computer uh, back in the day? Ooh. Um,
1: you know, uh, so <laughs> probably a uh, an old. Uh, it was the one, like the very first series of Pentium four processor. Um, it was, uh, original DDR, you know, all the good stuff, the, where, you know, 20 gig of hard disk space was wow, where the XP and all that stuff. Um, I mean, not super old mind you, but, uh, still, you know, 20 or so years ago. Um, and, uh, I had, uh, uh was working at, was working in a, a program called the student technology leadership program in my high school. And, um, they uh, used us as kind of the IT uh, department internally. And uh, I was able to harvest some RAM chips off of uh, other systems and got 512, uh, 512 meg of uh, memory. And uh, when I uh, left the program uh, my sophomore year, when I transferred high schools, uh, they let me uh, keep my workstation. And uh, I actually used that workstation uh, up through being told that it was incompatible for upgrade to Windows 7.
0: my <laughs> but- my, uh, you know, and, and in the wake of that, my uh, um, mom and dad are moving. And, uh, and so, they're going through all their junk, right? And so, my dad has this closet of computer equipment that I know we all have, right? And in the closet of computer equipment, he found a working compact computer running Windows Millennium Edition. Uh, and I, I booted it up over here and sure as anything, you can actually, uh, it boots up into Windows. I don't know what I can run on it. Uh, You know, but uh, it uh, is definitely a working computer and it still works after all these years.
1: Flight Simulator 2000, man. Flight Simulator 2000.
0: There you go. There you go. Um, Your uh, uh, favorite computer cable that they no longer make. Oh, yeah. Tough one, right? Just think about it right now. What everything's mostly uh, a USB or some variation of that. Right. Um, you know
1: they they still they still make it, but I'm gonna go ahead and roll with it because it's so rare to see. But probably the serial cable.
0: You know, I miss the serial cable and that little, You know, when I would pop the serial cable in, tell me if you've done this or not. You pop the serial cable in the back, and then I just tighten one of the sides, not both, just one, because I know I'm gonna pop it back off. You
1: are a. Um You are a a very, uh, formal gentleman for even the one.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, I I got my, my, my last thing here for, for the beginning here is, uh, can you impersonate an old school modem sound?
1: (laughs) Oh my God. Um, yeah, I can still hear the sound in my head. Like (laughs) beep I
0: love it. I love it. That's a great, that's great sound. All right. Guys, uh, um, I just want to welcome everybody to uh, the uh, podcast. Um, uh, uh, I'm Michael Moore, and here with me, I have uh, Joshua Clemens. He's the IT director at TransShield, which we're going to talk about because this is really intriguing. Uh, Chris, welcome to Dissecting Popular IT Nerds and agreeing to meet with us and uh, and share your knowledge. Um, What... Uh, what is TransShield and, and, uh, um, you know, to use a popular term, what is it that you do there? <laughs>
1: well, I mean, there's the, um, there's the marketing friendly stuff that I'm sure that they'd like for me to say <laughs> that we, uh, provide cutting edge, uh, Uh, protective technologies. But basically what we do is we make very fancy and very custom tarps. So I'm sure everybody's uh, been excited about the uh, electric car craze. And so they've all seen their Teslas going down the road and they see how they're covered with those nice thin, uh, tight plastic covers. Uh, Or they've seen boats going down the road with the thin plastic covers or even windmill blades, something huge like that. We make those. Um, And what's special about those is not only the size and that they shrink and whatnot. is also that they, that they have a, a property by, that inhibits corrosion and allows you to store those things outside and then just chuck them on the truck. Additionally, we have a military division where on top of those feature sets, we also are on the cutting edge of a, a electromagnetic shielding whereby we can protect against um, uh, like efforts to communicate or transmit communications from the outside in, inside out, or even see it with radar and sonar. It's Faraday
0: cage and a tarp. Uh, in a very real way, yes. <laughs> very nice. Very nice. Well, I already have bad cell coverage, so I <laughs> hopefully uh, I hopefully don't get a tarp covering me and unable to actually uh, take a phone call.
1: Um, no uh, but, actually we, we have it we we have a product uh, not to cut you off we actually have a product that is is just a uh, uh, is just a little uh, old uh, a belt clip like an old belt pouch for your cell phone like that you're uh, that you might have uh, thought you were cool having 10 15 years ago uh, that is made of our material that's its sole purpose is to keep you your phone from connecting to uh, the satellites while you're in like a sensitive meeting or or on the front lines in the
0: Ukraine or something like that nice I can I can I can see that that uh, that's actually a pretty decent technology and and uh it looks like as i was reading uh on your, the website there a lot of patents uh uh for this stuff uh, that you have right yes sir so, so let, let's talk about that so you mentioned that you're doing business with the government um and a lot of times not all the times a lot of times that means that uh you're diving into CMMC, if i'm saying that correctly uh uh, uh guidance where basically uh um it's additional NIST controls, uh, to, uh, be able to, um, secure your environment, uh, and protect confidential, uh, um, and, uh, confidential data for the government. It, it, you want to uh, chat about that for a moment? Cause I guarantee it, it, it you're working on it and, and it's, uh, and it's something that's pretty, pretty big in your uh, organization.
1: Yes, actually. Um, so, uh, well, actually, uh, CMMC 1.0 was a, uh, like a landmark effort by the government to actually secure its defense contractors. And, uh, they implemented, uh, as a part of that, they introduced, uh, there's five levels of, of security, but they actually ever never, ever really, uh, only got any traction on one, which was, uh, CMMC level three, which is also what would fall under a company like mine under and, um, it was the, uh, NIST SP, uh, 800-171, uh, guidelines. in addition to another, uh, dozen controls and, and processes, um, unfortunately, um, when, after the first two pilot, uh, programs went out and, uh, after my, I, uh, submitted my, uh, year's budget for compliance with it, uh, matter of fact, like the week after, um, We uh, got the notice that 1.0 had been killed and that 2.0 was going to be upcoming, but no further guidance would be available for the next couple of years. But then on the interim, that we should focus for 100% compliance for uh, NIST uh, uh, 800-171. Additionally, for the uh, more... um, like the the higher security of us, and then uh, and then us as well, uh, to be pointing towards a new uh, procedure called uh, uh, NIST 800-172, which uh, is uh, n- n- well, while not as quite as robust as 17153, which uh, maybe more people are familiar with, uh, is uh, more robust than 171, and and we've been uh, informed that uh, aspects of 172 will be added to uh, the CMMC requirements, if not in initial implementation, but as uh,
0: time goes on. Well, let's talk about this because this is interesting. You know, anytime that you are uh, implementing security controls into an organization, right, you're going to run into uh, um, some roadblocks here and there, whether it be uh, uh, user adoption, uh, it be uh, people trying to, um, uh, you know, adjust some new security measures like removal of local administrator, um, or, um, you know, just a... costs, right? Uh, have, uh, have you run into that? And if you have, how are you working through it?
1: Well, so, I mean, yes, we've run into all of those things, right? Um, but, uh, and, and that's going to be the case for any company uh, of any size uh, implementing uh, the CMMC model or just being truly compliant with the NIST uh, model as already put forward. Um, but, uh, first I've have, I have, well, my shout out a little bit to my boss is the CFO of, uh, Shield. His name's Conrad Bereza. Uh, he came from a much bigger, more, uh, robust company, um, which I won't mention on the air because, you know, try to keep everything, uh, clear, but, um, that they so when he came in he's been a, a big help as an executive sponsor really shoving things through and as the CFO being the head money guy he has a lot of, uh, of swing there um, additionally uh, we try to work with each department and introduce what's going to be the hardest for them and see how we can best accommodate uh, making changes that will that that will both bring us into compliance and also not obstruct the workflow like um, one of the, uh, the biggest things about what we do here custom is, is that we actually have a, a very robust design department where we take 3D scans of uh, what we're going to cover. And as you might imagine, being a military company, that is one of our most sensitive aspects of the company. But it's also one of the most... Because uh, all of our uh, products are discrete. We're a discrete manufacturer. Almost everything we make is custom. Very few of our product lines actually are something that just gets replicated dozens and dozens of times. So, bringing uh, things into scan, in, into design, and then going through the process and then going out of design very rapidly is super important. And every control that you add uh, will slow down systems, will make an extra step or make it not easy to do this. Like we'll get scans in from customers and they won't all be the stand, the format type that we've requested. So the uh, team will want to install some random program from Timbuk2 to uh, read that program because that's their job. That's important to them. That's how they are able to do their thing, gets uh the sales out. it gets uh, the sales guys satisfied gets product out the door gets us paid he lets us pay our employees mm-hmm. which is important but security for both us and for the country as a whole uh because uh um, things like that you know like um, is it, super important and actually there there's an anecdotal uh, uh to that i, I want to cover if, if we still have time but um and, and that's super important. So like when we wanted to integrate things like, well, we wanted to do things like um, uh, we wanted to start pre live scanning. Uh, I mean, cause we all, you know, we, we already had anti Malware software, right. You know, and everybody does, we already had really good, uh, great uh, malware software, uh, into Malware software. Uh, but what we wanted to do was we wanted to start, uh, we wanted to add an extra step of pre-scan before applications were allowed to be opened. It was uh, mm-hmm. like a, a sandboxing aspect. Yep. Um, and uh, but that uh, caused a great deal of extra uh, uh, processing time. So you know, we worked with the our vendor and we, you know, our, our security vendor and whatnot, and we were able to tweak uh, settings and we were able to increase and buy better hardware for for you know more RAM, better compute, better uh, graphics uh, and stuff to get to gain back more time. Other places where their actual output was something more akin to what uh, they had going in so that instead of being uh, an enemy to us, they were an ally.
0: Well, you know, and what a good point about that too is uh, not only uh, will those extra steps, uh, you know, help with security, but they'll also help with the end product, right? I mean, there's one thing to slow down, right? Nobody likes to slow down. Listen, I want to go fast. I want to get this stuff done, right? But the next piece is if I slow down just a little bit, measure twice, cut once... Right, I'm gonna have a uh, a better product coming out the door. One that's QA'd a little better, and and uh, and made sure there's no issues
1: well you would you, you would hope but actually our, our biggest problem is, is that our so our 3d scans are so massive that um, and take so many data points and they're so accurate actually that the act of converting that into the 3d into a 3d model is massively uh, hard on the equipment but and 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 we couldn't uh, we couldn't tone down on security anywhere there cuz actually this was the anecdote I wanted to share there was a uh, general officer who spoke at a conference that I got to attend and so I'm totally stealing it from him and I uh, if I remember. His name, I would say it, and if anyone does know his name and they pass it to me, I'd be happy to give him the credit for it. But apparent but uh, some Chinese fellows um, from uh, act assumed to act on on behalf of a state government because it made its way to a state government, uh, compromised a, sm- a company that made. Um, uh bunk beds or something similarly uh, small for submarines and they took the measurements of the bunk beds and backed that into the shape of the submarine and then they took that through like wind tunnels or water or water flow uh measurements or something and where it's able to determine the sound or approximate sound it was going to make underwater and then Turned that into to their sense to their sonars and was able to pick out aspects of our submarine fleet, uh, based, basically based on measurements of a, uh, bunk bed. <laughs> so <laughs> that's what actually, that's was that was actually apparently the incident or what I was told to be the incident that started the whole idea of moving towards
0: CMMC. Yeah. You don't want to catch people napping on a submarine. I agree with you. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's a you know interesting point though. Uh, on that is we were talking about in some things you you had to abandon uh, uh, security in some regards uh, for the sake of um, processing. Is that what you're saying? I just want to make sure I got. Uh, that. No, 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 no. Uh, what I was saying is is that we actually had to go the other way.
1: We had to sac- we had to sacrifice capability uh, uh, for processing, uh, in, we, we had to slow- we the slow- process just slowed down. That's just how it was. Is what it and, is. And but that but that's how by 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 uh, uh, picking at other areas we were able to save
0: in other areas and and, and gotcha. So the the process itself from the three D uh, printing is is just slower, but right. But that you went to other areas to actually speed it up to make up some ground for that uh, uh, for that piece, right? Yeah,
1: we, we yeah we received measurable loss, but because of our uh, extra efforts and their efforts and working with us, we were able to keep something that our design team was happy with, and we were able to meet compliance. I mean, like it, uh, you, uh, um, and, and that was asked, and that, and that was like one of the few places where we actually had no choice but to uh, take the hit, uh, which is particularly difficult for us because military is only a third of our business. I mean, yes, I mean, I say only a third is a large portion, but I mean, two thirds of our business also have to suffer the same problem because of being a, you know, here's where we're actually hit as a small business. A third, while a large chunk, for a company, this, uh, for a, a $500 million company, I could segregate that into its own business uh, unit. I could segregate all the employees that worked on military, and I could create like a little sub-shelter in my network that was ramped up and be happy. Our companies just at the right size where basically everybody touches something. And that means that no matter what I do... Um, I end up having to put so many people under the under the net that I'm not left with enough to be worth worth its own network. So mm-hmm. what I end up doing is actually apply our security standards to every user. So and that also means that I catch every single scan, not just the military scans, but I also catch the scans of a windmill blade. I catch the scans of somebody. Yeah, there, there was this fellow who had a, who had this really, really nice boat that we had to go out and scan because he added some stuff to it and made it so that our normal cover for that model of boat wouldn't work. But he wanted a cover, and we got him one.
0: Oh, but see, but you know, and and that happens uh, where security may not. Uh, you know, affect a group, but since they're you know, it's all in the same network, it's all in stuff you may not be able to separate it out, uh, and, and that makes complete sense. Now, I, I, Josh, let me switch gears here real quick because I want to jump into um, you specifically. I saw in here, um, you know, that you've done. Uh, many different jobs A network. I think it was a network administrator. Uh, 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 There's some desktop support. And then in the current role, even being an IT director, which I think I share a lot of this. I've seen I've seen this with a lot of people, too. Uh, even being an IT director, you're also doing uh, admin work as well. Right. Yes. So let's let's chat about wow. your some of your previous experiences on that and the current ones as well
1: um sure so i was a consult i was an independent consultant uh for years like i uh i worked under some uh, msps or i took contracts contract contract uh company company contracts uh a wide variety of situations but it was uh, pretty much everything from when i first graduated high school up through uh, uh 2012-ish 2013 um, i took two persistent contract two persistent long-term contracts and kind of found that i liked it Additionally uh in addition to liking the, the the stability I also liked uh that around then was when the Amer- uh, the affordable care act uh came in place and I had to start paying for my own health care for sure and that's a little expensive <laughs> um as an independent um so from there I um actually initially got a contract with the company that I was uh, a desktop support technician with and um they uh, decided to keep me um, due to some uh, the way that their positioning works there, and the way that everything kind of worked out. I was titled desktop support technician, but I was off, I was actually the uh, service desk team lead, and I was the very first operations admin or uh, like systems administrator, like m- middle tier between the uh, project team and the and the
0: uh, help desk people. I was the very first one of those. Just to and jump in for just to jump in for a second. Sorry to sorry to cut you off for a moment, but I just want to mm-hmm. hop in on this because it's a big piece, right? Most of the time you'll find that, uh, IT folks are doing multiple roles, <laughs> <in one> role, <laughs> yeah. right? I, right? This is, it, it's a, it's a common, it's a common thing where it's like, Hey, listen, I just need you to pick up this chunk of work and then now add this one to it. And this, habit. and it, and it just gets, other than one, let me ask you a question based on that, because I, you have a, wide variety of experience here and looking at your, uh, stuff, um, in all of this different desktop and system admin work, network administrator, IT director, right? How do you, uh, in your current role, uh, manage all that and how do you keep it so that, uh, you know, you, are doing the IT director role and working on it, but also keeping support work going and any, uh, projects,
1: well, first off, I have a great team. I mean, uh, I can't thank them enough They're I mean, uh, it, they, uh, if I, if I couldn't hand issues to them and they just fix themselves, if you will, I mean, it would be a much more difficult task. Uh, I, but, uh, on top of that, um, I've always, uh, been a guy who didn't really like to want, I, I really hate, hate doing a, like grabbing a one project and working it through. I, I always liked, uh, Breaking my projects into uh, bite-sized pieces and hit a piece here or there till I get frustrated and jump to another project. So I always liked having lots of things going on. So I actually really do break my job as a manager, break my job as a director, uh, break my job as a uh, as an actual administrator up into little bitty pieces. Uh, it also super helps for when uh, things do happen because I am first and foremost responsible for my department. So if something comes up, I have to deal with. I might have to shove part of my part of what I'm doing off onto one of my team members. And having it broke down into pieces means that I'm like, so a B and C are done. D E and F need doing please handle this for me, man. And, um, I'd say probably the most challenging aspect is, is that we are international. And so uh, we have that aspect of other languages and other cultures involved. And so that can be sometimes uh, complex because my, I'm not all of my team is based here in the United States or, or works here in Elkhart. Um, and so I, uh, you know, sometimes have to, you know, I, I, I'm their I'm their boss, I'm their director. I, I provide their budgets. I, I provide their forecast just as much as I do my own. And so working with them is probably the most challenging part uh, Uh, making sure that I understand their concerns and also like there are cultural differences like in the United States and in America, you will, you know, abruptly tell somebody when there's a problem. Well, in Mexico as an example, because that's where our other facility is, there's a, um, there's a culture where you don't exactly challenge the boss, if you will. They don't, they don't do that. So sometimes, w- sometimes communicating them is as much what they won't say or they don't say as what they did say, and it's a relatively minor thing because culturally, uh, Mexico is very similar to uh, the United States. You know, we we watch a lot of the same shows. You know, we're, we're right on top of each other. You know, Hollywood. There's a lot of transition back and forth, but there, but that, but that slight difference can be the difference between like my systems administrator here will say, hey, this is broken we need to fix this now whereas my system administrator down there might say um or might, or might not say anything, Like will be in complete silence when the complaint is made. And I ask him about, is his working okay? Or his, is it working okay for him? And he will be very circumspect about the way he says it. And I would think it was just him, but it's the case with all of our management down there. Like You have to be very direct with them to get a straight answer back. And then they clearly don't like saying it, as I said. So you just have to learn to read the mood and you yeah. can...
0: Yeah. You, you know, that is a, it's a great, let's talk about specifically, um, this point, but we'll, we'll, we'll bring it into just generally, right? Because mm-hmm. people, uh, uh, are, you know, if there's anything that people are, is they're all unique, right? And they all have different ways that they handle issues and respond to issues. And especially when you're managing a team and I know you've, you've run into this and as you just kind of s- s- said, um, you are running into multiple people that are uh, that whole have different ways that they interact and they handle issues. Right. So the question I got is when you have that, right, how do you get around it? Like, let's say you have a a person that is not uh, um, as direct as other people. Like you said, you had a system administrator that was like, something's on fire. We need to put it out now. Right. And then you're going to have another uh, a system administrator that's like everything's fine while well, things are burning all around them, right? Um, is uh, you know reminds me of that I, I T crowd uh, where he just picks up the fire and moves it to the other fire, right? So um, <coughs> everything's fine. Let me just type an email. So so based on that though, let's let's talk about that, right? How do you handle the difference uh, from a management aspect, right? How do you pull out the information that you need uh, from one person and then also. Conversely, the other person, which everything's uh, something on fire, we're gonna figure it out. How do you rein that in? Well, so
1: the person who's more direct thankfully is actually um one of our uh, uh veterans and you know seeing as we just recently uh, celebrated independence day i would uh, like to shout out a thank you to him for his service but um he's pretty self-correcting at that he, he's pretty good about only complaining when there's an actual problem though he has had a few false flags um and in those cases uh we you know, basically, I ask him to to talk it out So we you know we we talk out the problem, right? You know, like I'm like, okay, well, you know, so to to fix this abruptly, we're gonna turn off all this. Is that okay? No. Okay. Well, then, is this a little? Is this a lesser problem? I mean, because I mean, if it's legitimately, if we're, you know, if, if we're like, say, we're getting crypto locked, right? Which we didn't, thank God, and haven't yet knocked on, knock on wood. But like, say, if we were, you know, like a, a correct answer could very well be, well, pull the power on the file server. Why? Because we'll fix it later if it breaks. But you know, if you do that for some minor issue, like we need to, re- if somebody accidentally deleted a file, we need to restore it. That's a totally unacceptable. Way to go upon it, just pulling the plug and then restoring everything and then going back. Right. But uh, I found that like going along with them on this, on this, on this tangent of, of, of excitement, like, and just like taking this all the way to the sky lets them see like where we've, where we've gotten some disconnect on how on on scale and 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 when you when you get them on that then they'll scale back their complaint themselves and then we get on that and then you know we can usually have a chuckle or right whatnot. but then that's also just people's personality like <clears throat> he tolerates that well it's a good person, you know, a good light, lighthearted person, but some, somebody might feel offended about that. So, you know, you really do have to know the person on the other, on the other hand, uh, my person who's more, my, uh, Mexican society, who's more, uh, um, lighthearted or more reluctant, I guess the to, to, to put forward problems like that. Uh, we have a weekly talk or a weekly chat where I just kind of ask about systems and ask about what he's been doing. And I will look at his tickets and, 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 try to tease out issues. And I frame them in, in forms of like, what can I do to, uh, you know, what, what can I do to, uh, uh, help him, uh, provide more help to his users. And,
0: uh, by framing it like that, I I get more cooperation from him as well. I like it. I like it. Yeah. So coming in, uh, not necessarily saying what's wrong, but saying, Hey, what are the things on which I can help? And then trying to, uh, you know, uh, elicit that information from there. Um, you did mention ticketing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, something that's near and dear to my heart, uh, is, uh, uh, implementing ticketing and, uh, and idle and, uh, uh, the KPIs that follow and actually having information. Uh, I, I would like to hear your, uh, take on this, uh, uh on, on the ticketing and KPIs and, and how, you implement and, and get the information you need to be able to do the uh, the work that you need to get done.
1: So, uh, I mean, realistically, a uh, ticketing system is like any other uh, information management system. It's like an ERP or a CRM or whatever. It's only as good as the information you put into it. Um, the trick of the trade is to teach your team to be able to pull information out of it. Because if it's just the adversary, if it's just the boss checking up on what you're doing, it's the enemy, and an already tedious task becomes uh, the last thing on the list. So the, the 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 first step to having a successful implementation of the ticketing system is to provide a, uh, a measurable benefit to the participants, and so. Um, my my big thing was uh bringing uh doc well, we actually used jira and bringing in a help desk uh their help desk tool their service management tool and then confluence uh for uh document management and tying all that together and then uh uh starting to push on everybody to make sure they write down their solutions and then waiting And waiting and then letting it come back around and then letting my responses start to be check confluence, check confluence, and they get used to the idea that it's there as their tool. Because I know that a lot of folks uh, hesitate to document things appropriately, because they always think that they're documenting their way out of a job. Uh, And I mean, really, that's, that's really what it is. I mean, I, I myself have had that fear in the past. But if you're uh, good at your job or if you're good at your job and then conversely, if your job is good for you because we, uh, we as an employer owe you uh, as an employee just as much. Or more even, uh, as you owe as you know the, as you owe us, and uh, so it's super important that uh, we're we 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 help that mindset. And sometimes, and with some people, all we can provide them is stability until they they feel that. But yes, once they start getting stuff out of it, once they start, I can show them like you can look at your KPIs when you're arguing for a raise or a bonus for me. You can show me, hey, I've closed more tickets than everyone on my team. I deserve the money, or I, I have closed this much.
0: I, Josh, I think this is great. I think, and I'm going to repeat this for people uh, just in case uh, 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 they didn't catch this. Step one to creating a ticketing system is to have the buy-in from the people using the ticketing system, right? Yes, I mean, that is 100%. That is such great advice. If you don't have the buy-in, they're not going to use the product and uh, and they're going to go around it and and, and circumvent it. I think, that's, I think that's great advice uh, for doing that. Now, when you do get the buy-in and you set this up, right? How do you create the KPIs needed? Uh, what, what do you use uh, to be able to do that? Um, I'm very familiar with your, Uh love the product. Um, and, uh, and there's so many different ways in which you can create KPIs within that product and charts and click-throughs and stuff like that. Tell me about it. Uh, you know, how do you uh, define those KPIs? So I mean to start with uh our
1: ticketing system here uh i was at, this was actually the first one we had, so we didn't actually have uh a prior any prior measurable uh uh spec. So you know we didn't we didn't we didn't know that we generally closed twenty some issues per use per technician per day uh, per day right we didn't know we didn't know this or that right so we came in with a complete blank slate we had no idea how long it took us to respond to an issue we didn't know how many how many times an issue had to be re- explained uh, reopened sorry or an issue be reported um, so basically what we started to do was first we let it run we opened it and let it run on its own without uh, interference for a couple months, and then what we started saw was the averages. Like what, what cold get a cold read on what the room looks like, right? Without any expectations, without any 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 force. Then I started looking at what was my complaints, like because you know my my uh peer managers and my seniors would say. Hey, I had to re- I had to complain multiple times to get a problem or hey, I've been waiting a long time or whatever. So I start matching those up with what I was seeing from real-time data. And then I started trying to a well, first I had to make sure that they were real complaints. So I, you know, go through and make sure that these are are legit. But then when when you confirm that those are legitimate complaints, that they're legitimate action items, then I take uh, and pick a focus. Uh, and then I sit, well, first I, I set my baseline KPIs at whatever the average was, and I pick a focus to fix, pick, pick, pick a focus to, to, to better, right? And then I try to make some of those go, some of those complaints go away. Like say, if they say it's took too long, Well I make this month's focus? Let's respond a little bit quicker. Let's mo- yeah. Let's move that up a little and, bit. And what is too long, right? Yeah. What and what? Right. Yeah. And what is and what is too long? And you know, I, I know that. I, and I know. And I know that. You know, there's a lot of. You know, like we set. We set the the goal from the beginning. But if you do that, you risk burning out your people. You're 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 buying again, getting uh, mm-hmm. keeping your buy-in. If you go and say everything you're doing is wrong, and we need to have measurable uh, uh, benefit at 50% better than what you're doing now across the board, you're going to get nothing. Uh, but like, if I can say like, hey, um, it looks like that. Uh, uh, we need, you know, that 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 we've had this going for three months, and we've had a couple complaints about this, and we can see that hey, it takes on average four hours to first response. We would like to see it in the first two. I mean, can we can we at least can we at least respond to it and say yeah, we it's been assigned to somebody. You know, something small, just just so that the user gets the warm and fuzzies, even if it's a low tier problem, even if it's, it doesn't matter because we have something major
0: going on, Follow just so up. they get the warm and fuzzies. Follow right, up. such a great. It's right. Such a great thing, an important thing to do, and it, and it can buy you a lot of time.
1: Right, but we just focus on those little bite-sized pieces, and then as we've adjusted up, uh, you know, like oh, uh, uh, there's too much work. Well, are you reporting all your work on tickets or on project uh, uh, hours? Because I'm not seeing enough to to generate another position, or is there, you know, those sorts of things? And then always and always pick one and go with one. Don't make a user feel like everything they're doing, or or a technician feel like everything they're doing is wrong, because it's never
0: going to work. So good information here on the KPIs and how to actually, uh, um, get them implemented and, and, and how to kind of massage them once you get them and implemented to make sure they're actually doing what you need. Um, uh, you know, what I also saw is that you had some, uh, experience, uh, with ERP implementation. Yes. So let's, let's chat about that because, um, I find that to be, uh, uh, um, very, very interesting, uh, um, because it's one of the, probably, I think one of the most challenging things that you have to do because it touches every, almost every piece of an organization, right? Um, would love to chat about that for a minute. And, uh, so, um, do you mind, uh, uh, saying what you were implementing?
1: Um, so, uh, we were implementing, well, so when I started here, we finished the implementation of, uh, Dynamics AX 2012 R2. And, uh, we're currently moving to another solution actually at this time. Um, you get to do it all over again. I know. Right. <laughs> I also, I also got to help, uh, land the infrastructure side of, uh, implementation of, X uh, AX 2012 R2 at my pre- previous, uh, employment. Uh, they, uh, we had some borked uh, bits on the virtualization side. Um, as, a, as an interesting aside, uh, it's a popular knowledge or popular saying that you can't uh, put an uh, AXAOS and an AX database on different hosts, or you can, and you also really shouldn't vMotion them. And I will say for sure uh, 100% that you can do both of those things and get great performance out of that for what AX will actually give you ever, Um, you just have to have a properly configured uh, virtual environment. Yes,
0: it's, uh, don't tell me what I can't do. (laughs) 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 I'll do it anyway and I'll do it better. No, I think that's, you know, I love when people come up with innovative solutions to work on things, and, and just because someone says you can't do something doesn't mean you you can't do it. Uh, um, I, I agree with you there. Now, this uh, ERP, um, I know you, you said you were on Dynamics and 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 moving off to go something else, um, but let's let's talk about specifically. Um, was this ERP covering, uh, all the major pieces of the company finance and, uh, and, uh, um, operations and, and all the fun little groups, uh, uh, does it do all that? Or is it just covering a, a certain segment?
1: So, um, we, uh, covered every group, maybe not to the extent that that group might have liked in a couple of the areas, but uh, we did actually touch every bit of it. Um, Some decisions were made prior to me stepping in and bringing my own team in because I was a replacement. uh, The entire, basically the team here had been vacated and I was asked to build a team. Um, And uh, so some decisions had been made and we were far enough long in the process that we couldn't make changes, uh, too big a changes on scope. Uh, but yes, we did, uh, implement on pretty much every aspect of the business.
0: You know, Hey, I'm going to, we'll get back to the CRP in a second, but let's take a quick, uh, sidebar because I think every IT individual has run into this where you've inherited something, right. And, uh, and you have to run with it. You know, if we could build things from the ground up and just, and, and go to, go to town, we'd make it, we'd make it beautiful Things right but you know you run into issues where uh, you have to um, uh, work on something and it may it might have made sense when they were implementing it, but maybe things change maybe things modify and you have to take it from this point and make it something right and uh, tell me about that and if you have any other um, you know experiences in that that you think that may uh, kind of relate to that piece where having to take something, that was something and then make it a new thing, but you can't <laughs> modify pieces of it. Go right ahead.
1: Well, so uh, I think that uh, pretty much all of us, uh, anybody who's ever been IT for anything other than a mom and pop shop has had to live with pre-existing conditions, if you will. It's like, wow, I like to call it.
0: Um, but um, in our case... <laughs> I like that. I like that term, pre-existing uh, conditions. I need to live with pre-existing conditions. I'm going to use that. Yeah. I'm stealing that from you you're welcome
1: (laughs) sir (laughs) um but um so what we did was is we kind of figured out what was all the you know like we ran into lots of issues and like we we kind of figured out like what actually is the limitations? What were the things that add that couldn't change? And then we took in and and we took the plan that was originally there, and we tried to kind of follow the guy, follow the plan, uh, color inside the lines, if you will. Mm-hmm. But we discovered that there were massive issues, and that we we had to revisit everything. So. We did and we, uh, took our, and we did get our list of, of what things couldn't change. Uh, but, uh, a lot of it was just, uh, coaching expectations and learning that, um, and this is something I would like to say as just a flat thing to all of you who are wanting to implement an ERP system, to anybody who's listening who has nothing to do with the, uh, nothing to do with the technical side, but who might possibly find themselves in a meeting for an ERP implementation. Your use case is not special. Nothing that you see on that system, uh, very few things that you will do in your business will be so unique that nobody else will pot, uh, in the world, or no big group of people in the world does it, and that your case. And not only do you do it in a different way, but your different way is better than all those other people's. So in 99.9% of the cases, when you see something in an ERP system that does something in a way that you, your company does not do, the answer is not for you to modify the ERP. It is for you to modify your processes to meet the ERP because the ERP
0: is probably doing it right and you are probably doing it wrong. Yeah, and this so, is <laughs> such a big thing. You know, and, and companies can get very specific with their processes. They narrow them down. They start from a small company. They work their way up. Those growing pains move along, but sometimes the processes don't uh, get reevaluated. So that's a great point. You know, uh, take the chance uh, here, and this is what Josh is saying. And stop me if I'm wrong, but this is what Josh is saying: take the chance here and uh, reevaluate your processes before you implement the ERP.
1: Right. And anytime you run into a thing where you're doing something one way and your ERP system is is pushing you to do something else, mm-hmm. uh, really, really sit and, and think about it. I mean, like really take it to the people, really look into it, do your research, see if there's a similar organization that you can yeah. look into theirs. I'm serious. If you have to modify the ERP system outside of some very specific situations, you've probably... A, written yourself a check that you're going to
0: really hate cashing later. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, and and not only is it going to be a headache to modify, it's also going to be uh, very costly.
1: Well, yeah. Well, I mean, and and the thing is is the costs don't stop at the day it goes in. Mm. When you want to upgrade the software, then you need to, instead of it being your administrators, just throw just pushing patches forward after they pass test. And now you've broke something. Now your now your patch that now your modification might have to be half re-implemented or modifications to your patch might have to be made or just just having a developer on hand to watch. That's extra money. Especially for the companies too small to have developers on the staff. So that means that I'm paying six hundred plus dollars an hour for somebody to watch me upgrade a piece of software. And then you get in a situation where you're locked into a version of an OS version or locked into a a SQL version, which yes, you know that's the case most of the time with ERP systems anyway, but uh, you can usually apply it like 2012 allows you to patch up to uh, server 2019 and uh, SQL server 2019. But if you have all sorts of modifications, you basically have to rewrite half of them in order to let that happen. So, I mean, yes, I mean... It might be minor changes, but there are changes everywhere. And then... Even though the ones you don't have to modify, you're sitting there waiting for it to break, and it's just and all that is added cost. So you know your your planned modification that was relatively minor that may have cost seventeen hundred dollars over the lifespan of your ERP, which uh, for most of you you probably are 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 plotting on a ten year or longer ERP lifespan. You that seventeen hundred dollars is now you know more like seventeen thousand or even more. And so I mean when you're thinking, I mean think about the fact that this software is probably going to outlive the platform it sits on and you need to uh,
0: uh, account for those sorts of things. This is anybody listening to this podcast and uh, you're a business leader and not even it. And you're just, you stumble upon this and you're listening to Josh Clements here talk, right? Really pay attention here because this is a, is a huge deal. He, he is explaining to you how to save money in your organization, when you're implementing an ERP, right? Uh, really evaluate the processes, make sure uh, you're not changing how the system works. Right. Uh, and uh, um, it should be uh, going with the grain and, and working things on very, by very few exceptions, should something be changed and uh, uh, in this system. And a lot of times you can implement stuff in and, uh, and get it working uh, just fine with a new process that works sometimes even better. So Um, I I, I like that. That's a great, that's great, uh, um, you know, great information, not only for IT, but for uh, business uh, uh, leaders. Now, Josh, uh, I'd like to end here uh, with, um, uh, you know, with some uh, fun stuff here. Um, I want to know, you know, the kind of the craziest thing that you've ever come across with uh, in in all your IT dealings, because I know you've done a bunch of stuff here. I know you've got a story and I would love to hear that story. Ooh
1: uh, let's see here. um, really dig deep, I know because try- well yeah, but I also have to censor out some of them because. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um agreed agreed uh the uh the the craziest pg related thing that you've uh okay ever done.
1: <laughs> okay so it's not technical it's not technical uh, and it does involve the committing of a crime so i won't tell who did this but <laughs> and and but they did get caught they have been brought to justice if you will but um we had a uh i was working for a company on uh, a, a, a non-specific medical informatics firm <laughs> and uh we were rolling into implementation of Windows 7. We went, implemented Windows 7. Everything was happy. Uh, c- uh, it was becoming popular to have a, uh, a solid-state drive uh, as your operating system drive. And somebody got the bright idea somewhere that we were going to put solid state, 40-gig solid-state drives into everybody's laptops. And this was back when these, sol- these solid-state drives were several hundred dollars for a 40-gig one. And when they, we bought thousands of them. So we shipped, uh, the amount that was going to our Chicago office, to our Chicago, to our Chicago office and, uh, assigned our on uh, person, uh, persons to, uh, replace them in the people's computers. Well, so, uh, Everything's going fine. He's, he's going through them at a regular rate. He gets a system from somebody just They get their system back totally re-imaged uh, because we didn't, you know, just migrate. We didn't, we did a whole, we did a whole image. We re with, you know, they were re-imaged faster. Yeah, they Everybody was happy to
0: just reconfigure the system and get it the way you want while you're doing it.
1: Correct. So everything goes forward. Everybody's happy. And, um, so everything goes on and everybody's happy. There's never any complaints, but here's the deal. Our Chicago office was pretty insular and never showed up in our card office or any of our other offices, or very rarely did they travel to other offices. So uh, you know, none of us got a chance to look at any of the systems. So roll forward probably three or four months and um, our, uh, one of our managers gets a call or one of our receptionists gets a call and then forwards it to one of our managers and it's from a pawn shop. Locally, uh, near our corporate offices in Chicago. And uh, the deal was, is that he had gotten uh, a bunch of solid state drives in lately. And one of them had one of our labels on it. And he was wanting to know if we were good with them being sold like that because they looked expensive. Oh boy! And what had happened was is that our person was uh, re-imaging these computers, you know, doing all the doing all the things, you know, wiping the drive, whatnot. not? So they were performing better, faster for the users because they just got a, a refresh, and they were selling the uh, they were hawking the uh, yep. Solid State Drives yeah. for money. And so they got walked out. And as a related thing, they were covering up something for one of our executives and then our executive got walked out too mm-hmm. because of that. Um, so then I ended up up there uh, helping Im- uh, image and rep- basically uh, put newly new ordered solid state drives in all up the mess <laughs> yeah but that's probably i mean like that wasn't the most complex i mean that's a relatively
0: simple task but like that was just the wildest are you kidding me moment that i've ever had wow wow that's, that's no and uh it doesn't surprise me that that would happen but it, it you know it's unfortunate but uh, oh. uh that's crazy that a label and a, a yeah. pawn shop goes wait i should probably call on this well i
1: mean and it was and it wasn't even and it wasn't even that like it was a pawn shop out in the middle of the suburbs or something or that we were in the suburbs and it was a the pawn shop was literally across the street uh, i didn't
0: think that one through <laughs> did <in> they no <laughs> <laughs> josh it has been a pleasure having you on guys this has been uh, joshua clemens uh, IT director at Transshield. Um, uh, you know, if uh, if you need, uh, we will post his data up so you can contact him. Uh, if you need uh, ERP advice, right? <laughs> uh, if you if you need any uh, uh, additional details on how to set up a ticketing system correctly, uh, thank you so much, Josh. It was a pleasure to have you on today.
1: Thank you. It's been nice meeting meeting you, Mike, and um, it's been nice being on your podcast. Maybe we'll do it again someday. Absolutely.